on a lovely, dreary day. Um, it's great to be here. It's great to be here on, uh, on the Sunday morning. It really is. Um, so we're going to continue with our uh, latest uh, preach, latest sermon in our series looking at uh, the Gospel of John. Before we get into that, I'm going to share a story with you. You for going out. Youth, leave. You won't, you won't hear the story, I'm sorry. See me later for the story if you, if you want to hear it. It's not that impressive, really. Should we start again? So, anyway. Um, after Heather and I got married about six and a half years ago or so, uh, we had a honeymoon in Sicily, in Italy, a, lo- a lovely place, it really was. Um, and one evening, uh, we're in our hotel room, and Heather said to me, I really fancy a bit of fruit. And you know, we, we, we had no fruit in the hotel room. Uh, this was about 9pm, and I said, don't worry, I will get you some fruit. You know, trying to impress the new wife, you know, I'll, I'll be the hunter-gatherer. Um, so I went out into the town, uh, but it's not like here where you've got 24-7 supermarkets and what have you, um, there wasn't much open. And so, uh, but in the end, I, I got to the, the, the town square and there was a little shop in the corner open. Ah, oh, great. Went in there and uh, they had a counter and on display was a whole bunch of fruit. Oh, perfect. So um, uh, I spoke to the guy and, and asked, for, asked for some fruit. I picked out what, what I thought heaven might like. Uh, his English wasn't very good. Uh, my Italian was worse. Um, uh, but in the end, you know, as, as I pointed out, we used to like a bit of that, a bit of mango, a bit of, bit of orange, a bit of apple. Uh, he picked it out and, and put it in, a, in a, a quite nice presentation box, which I thought was weird. It's fruit. Uh, anyway, uh, he boxed it all up for me, uh, sort of plugged in the price on the machine, and it came to 25 euros. For 25 euros? For a bit of fruit? But I thought, it's okay, it's okay, it's for my new wife. Um, so I paid it, I walked back to the hotel, uh, entered the room with a flourish of, here are honey, here's your fruit. Heather opens a box and looks to me and, and asks, why have you bought me marzipan-shaped fruit? <laughs> Looking a bit like that. Now, uh, that to me looks like fruit, and uh, I couldn't tell the difference between uh, real fruit and marzipan fruit. Fruit that looks like fruit, but isn't really fruit. Bear that in mind as we go forward. So, we are in our series uh, in John, uh, looking at the death, resurrection, and revival, is what it's called, looking at the days around Jesus' death and resurrection, as described in the book of John. These last few weeks, we've had an insight into the upper room where Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. Today, we move beyond the upper room as Jesus and his disciples take their walk towards the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus continues his journey towards the cross. So we'll have a look at our passage for today. If you've got your Bibles with you, it's John chapter 15, and it's verses 1 to 17. It'll be on the screen as well. So, John 15, where are we now? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for the wonderful truths in those verses, Lord. I, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds now to, to learn a bit more about what it is when you say, love each other as you loved us. Lord, I pray, would we, would we take off our preconceived ideas uh, and allow you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us in our hearts. In your mighty name, amen. So, I've got a bit of a three-course meal for you this morning, as it were. That's basically a three-point sermon. Um, so our starter is chosen. Chosen. You are chosen. We'll get onto the fruit a bit later on. But as a starter, indeed as the foundation for all that we'll talk about today, you need to know that you are chosen. Jesus said in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So I want you to say after me, I am chosen. It's pretty good. The foundation to this passage comes near its end. We can only go and be fruitful and love each other if we first understand and accept that we are chosen. I don't know what springs to mind for you when you think of being chosen. Maybe it conjures up images of being at school when they pick the football team. Uh, and if you're a decent footballer, you might get picked early on, like Pete over here. If you're not a very good player, then you might get left towards the end when you're not so much picked but you're left uh, in the side and, and they're lumbered with you, basically. It's less a pick, more of a, you're, you're, you're left. Or perhaps a job interview, where you go in there, answer the questions as best you can, you try and make a good impression, but you know that the recruiting manager can only pick one person out of, whatever, six, 10, 12, and that the rest of the people will go away feeling disappointed. Or maybe in a relationship, when you hope that someone you fancy will choose you. You'll have to ask Heather why she chose me all those years ago. It wasn't because of my hench body or flowing locks of hair. <laughs> That's for sure. I think it's my wit, but anyway. <laughs> anyway. 
Being chosen is typically based on being the right person for something. Based on what it is you can offer someone else. It's based on having the right credentials, the right skills, the right knowledge. If you're not up to the mark, you won't be chosen. And not being chosen can feel like rejection. But when it comes to God, we don't need to impress him to be chosen. The disciples didn't have to impress Jesus for him to choose them. There is no, no recruitment process to go through. There's no application to make, no interview, no presentation to Jesus to try and impress him. I mean, how can we impress God anyway? So how does God choose? He chooses on the basis of giving his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, so that whoever believes in him is chosen. Jesus died for all. Those who believe in him are chosen. We've all messed up. We are all in need of a saviour. None of us can come before God and present any sort of compelling case on the basis of, of our merits. It's only based on the credentials of Christ, the one who didn't sin, who did nothing wrong, that we are chosen. By his stripes, by his death, by his resurrection, we are healed, we are given life, we are chosen. Being chosen by God gives us confidence. We can have confidence because we're chosen. Firstly, because it's not about you. It takes the pressure off. More than that, though, you are chosen to be a daughter, a son. You're not chosen to be a slave, to be second class. You're chosen to be part of God's family. You are adopted into his family. And that is seriously special. God didn't have to do it. He didn't have to adopt us into his family. Jesus didn't have to call us his friend. He could have kept us at a distance. After all, we should be blooming grateful to be saved in the first place. But God wants a relationship with us. That's the point of him saving us. He is a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in communion, in relationship with one another. We see that throughout these chapters in John that we've been through so far, 13 and 14 and now 15, where Jesus says he is in the Father and the Father is in him, that we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, that the, that the Holy Spirit will be sent to us. A picture of the Father and Son coming to make their home in our lives. God made it so that we are adopted into his family with the status of child of God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So that we're able to cry out, Abba, Father, a term of intimacy, Daddy, Papa, whatever daddy means in your language and now and that means we have an inheritance we are co-heirs with Christ later on today um, Heather and I go up north to um, start the final leg of, of the adoption process that we're going through We've all suffered rejection to some degree or another, and that can shape us and it can influence us. Uh, it can make us put up barriers. Uh, we, we don't let people in for fear of further rejection. And that can translate into our relationship with God as well, where we allow the scars of our past to hold God at arm's length, where we don't have confidence in who we are in God, where we try and do life on our own strength. We might believe the words, I am chosen, we've all said it, I am chosen. But we struggle to know the power of what it means to be adopted children of God. 
But just three quick things, which you may have heard before, but I tell you, it's so worth reminding you. Being adopted gives you security. You cannot, will not be rejected by God. It's impossible. Look at the lengths he went you to get you into his, into his family. Being adopted gives you acceptance. You're not lucky to be in. You're not in God's family by the skin of your teeth. It's not God liking you for now, but later on he might change his mind. God will never reject you. And being adopted gives you significance. God shows you. Yes, he died for the billions in the world. And if the billions in the world were in God's family already, he would leave the billions behind to pursue the one, to go after you, to die for you. That's how significant you are to him. Who you are as a child of God. Who you are is chosen. Okay, main course. Main course. This, this determines the effectiveness of bearing fruit, which we'll get to in dessert. And, and it's the centerpiece of this passage, actually. We are chosen to love. We are chosen to love. Jesus repeats the command he issued back in the upper room in verse 12. Love each other as I have loved you. We've heard that already in this series. In case the disciples didn't understand the weight of this command first time around, Jesus paints a picture around the command this time. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In verse 9. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus has loved his disciples and loves us in the same way and to the same extent as the Father loves Jesus. And he's calling his disciples and us to love each other in the same way. That's, that's big. And this is what that love looks like, to lay down your life for your friends, your brothers, your sisters. It's a beautiful image of self-sacrifice for the benefit of another. That's huge. Okay, two, two contexts in which to do this. Love the church. Love the church. That's my attempt at finding a church picture. It's, it's a church shape with people. You get it? So it's not a building, it's a church people. Never mind. It's fine. So to love each other as Jesus has loved us uh, means to love each other sacrificially. And we see how that plays out in the early church. In the book of Acts, when people shared of each other, uh, those who had sold what they had and, and gave to the poor, uh, they met with each other in, in each other's homes to worship and glorify God, to encourage each other and love each other as Jesus loved them. Here, all nations, we can and we need to do this better. On the one hand, we are a welcoming, loving church. It's one thing that I think we're really, really good at. And it's something that people who, are, who come here, who are fairly new, consistently comment on that we welcome well, that we love well. And that's brilliant. On the other hand, we've got a long way to go. There are too many examples of people who are hurt in the church, people who are hurt in our church. We have to tear down barriers of judging others, of gossiping, of taking sides. We have to tear down mindsets of, I'm too busy, that's not my calling, or that's too difficult or awkward to get involved with. We need to step out in loving each other as Jesus loves us. Jesus always has time for us, always. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He became as a slave, as a, as a servant to them. Jesus comforted them with what he was about to face the next day. Jesus could have cut to the chase and actually been far briefer than what he was. 
by, in verse 17, he could have just said, this is my command, love each other. Right, I'm off, I need some time and space to process what I'm going through. He could have like saved a whole bunch of chapters, I tell you. But he didn't. He comforted them. He gave them his time. You are all part of this church. You are all part of God's family. We are brothers and sisters. We are friends in Christ. And we are called to love each other as Jesus loves us. This is your calling, to love one another, to be prepared to lay down your life for each other. So my question to you is, and to me as well, by the way, actually it's worth saying that. So I, I know that I've let down too many people where I've said I'll meet, I'll meet up with someone, but haven't, haven't arranged it. Where I've made excuses not to get involved. That's not my cup of tea. I haven't got time. Where I've not said thank you, where I've not, I've not followed up and, and sent an encouraging message. Where I've judged people for what they've done and wonder what on earth are you doing? What can you do? What can you do to bring down any walls, barriers, or mindsets that you're, that you're aware of in your life which are blocking, which are blocking to loving the way Jesus says we need to love? Everyone will have something. What can you do? What can you do to build up this family, to build up the family of God, to build up all nations? This family that we're adopted into, what can you do to build up? Okay, secondly, love the world. There we are. Okay. Love each other as I have loved you. You might think Jesus was confining this command to, to the disciples, to followers of him. You, know, you might say, well, this command is clearly in the context of Jesus talking to his disciples and doesn't apply to the world. But no, to love as Jesus has loved us is to love as the Father has loved Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And what was the extent of Father's love? Right, I'm going to go outside. Hold on. Keep listening, okay? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, yeah? Just give me a second. That shows the extent. It shows the extent and the size of God's love. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16 which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What's the world, church? What is the world? The world is outside the windows of All Nations Church. This is your world. This is the world that we are called to love. Bedford is your world. Bedfordshire is your world. The UK is your world. Europe is your world. The world is your world. We are called to step outside the walls of our church and love the world. Are you up for that? <laughs> Could you hear any of that? I had no idea. <laughs> Scratch out there, tell you. You can put your own name in that, into that verse, actually. You can put your own name in there, because we, we, we're called to love the world. For Jonathan, so love the world. For Jane, so love the world. For Barry, so love the world. That we lay down our lives. We lay down our lives and gave ourselves to sharing the gospel to Bedford, 
to Bedfordshire, to the UK, and to the ends of the earth. Put your own name in that verse. It needs, it's about compassion. It's about having compassion for the world around us. It's about seeing others through God's eyes, caring for people who are lost, who are broken, who are scared, who don't know where to turn. Ask God to break your heart. Ask God to break your heart for the people of our town. Ask God to break your heart for the people of our country. To break your heart for individuals you come across every day. Because everyone, everyone is a potential friend of Jesus. He died for all. Everyone's, everyone's a potential friend of Jesus. There's a, there's a worship song, which you may or may not know. It's called So Will I. And at the, towards the end of the song, there's, there's a couple of lines in it where you're sort of singing to, to Jesus. And it says this, I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious child, every precious one, a child you die to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Every precious one, a child you die to save. And we're called here to do what Jesus did, to love as Jesus did, and to give our lives to love them. You are loved. You are chosen and you are loved. And that's worth dwelling on. You are loved. And we are called to love in the same way. We can't do this by ourselves. We can't, we can't do it, but we, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God living inside you, Christ in you. And in this last evening with his disciples, Jesus tells them again and again that the Holy Spirit will be sent to them when he goes back to the Father. We've seen in previous weeks uh, this verse towards the end of, of John, which we brought forward, John 20, verse 21, where Jesus says to them after he's been resurrected, peace be with you, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is the point, both in these verses in John 20 and at the end of our passage for today in John 15, Jesus tells the disciples, he tells us that we are sent. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. I chose you and adopted you so that you might go and bear fruit. We are sent by Father and Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to lay down our lives for those around us. Those who are friends of Jesus and those who are not yet friends of Jesus. So before we look at the final course, the pudding... We'll pause to digest just for a moment and look at the importance of remaining in Jesus, of remaining in his love. Jesus' love for us is unconditional. It is always there. It never changes. It's constant. It's immeasurable. The Apostle Paul encourages us in Ephesians 3, 18, 19 to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's a bizarre statement. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Jesus urges his disciples to remain in his love. And he explains how in verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And that command to love each other as Jesus has loved us is what we are called to do, to remain in Jesus' love. Earlier on, just prior to this, in verse 6, Jesus warns his disciples, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire and burned. These are big statements and show the importance of remaining in Jesus and in his love. 
They are warnings that we should heed. A couple of things to say. Firstly, God is holy. God is holy. He's perfect. He cannot stand anything less than holy being in his presence. When he chose you, when he rescued you, he didn't compromise his holiness. He didn't comp compromise who he was, his perfectness. Either in choosing you in the first place, he didn't say, you'll do. Or once he welcomed you into his family, feel free to do what you want, now you're in the family. He remains perfect. Jesus is perfect. He's God after all. When Jesus died and rose again for us, it meant he covered all of our sin, past, present, and future. It also meant that God sees us through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, that's in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Our identity is chosen, child of God. Sinner? No. Our identity is chosen, child of God, saint. Saint means holy one. You have had given to you the righteousness of Christ. So, so that when God sees you, he sees Christ-like image. He sees you as Christ. And therefore, he sees you as holy. We, we can't be like Jesus. I'd be kidding you and telling massive porcupines if I tried to claim that I live my life like Jesus. It's just not happening right yet. It really isn't. Being a Christian is about, it's about becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more like him, growing in strength and maturity. And this is where the Holy Spirit is so important. Yes, the Holy Spirit empowers us to go out and share the gospel but, and, and do all those things. But the Holy Spirit also shapes us into being more like Jesus, to increasingly take on the family likeness. To use a big word, it's being sanctified, which basically means becoming more and more like Jesus. That's, that's the Christian journey. That's the journey... You're on. So, that's the first point. Secondly, I said earlier that God will never reject you. We can reject him. We can, we, even of all that Jesus has done for us, we can turn our back on him. We did a series last summer on the uh, letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Remember that? That was a good series, I enjoyed that. Jesus, Jesus warned many of those churches. He warned many of them because there were things that were not right which were affecting their relationship with God. Things from losing their first love, to tolerating evil, to being lukewarm in their faith. So the church of Sardis, for example, had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. They looked active, they looked fruitful, but their fruit was marzipan. It wasn't real. Don't be complacent with God's love for you with what he has done for you. Where you've, where you've turned your back on God, where you have maybe tolerated evil in your life, where you've turned away from him, turn back. Turn back. Know that he loves you unconditionally. Know that he wants to reconnect. Know that he wants to be in relationship with you. He will not turn you away. Last week uh, at South, we were at South last week, and Richie had a bit of a word I mean, it was like Storm, Storm Kira last weekend. I'm losing track. Um, big winds, uh, lots of trees and a lot, lots, of, well, lots of twigs, branches and whatever in the road. Um, and Rich, Rich felt 
quite strong with that. There was an element of you know, all, all, that, all that wood on the road, all, that, all those twigs and branches were dead wood. They were dead. They'd been blown off the trees. Uh, and he felt actually, you know what, there's, there's a lot of dead wood knocking around, you know, me. And it was a bit of a call to say, actually, I want to put myself in the, in the, in the, in the wind, in the, in the sort of direction of the Holy Spirit wind, if you like, and, and have the Holy Spirit blow on me and get blow off the dead wood just to get rid of those, those branches, those twigs, that stuff in me that hinders my relationship with him. You know, maybe, maybe I've not turned away from God, but there's stuff there which, which gets in the way. And just to, just to ask the Holy Spirit just to blow through and, and get rid of that dead wood, get rid of that stuff that just isn't helpful. Okay, final course. We're coming in, we're coming in. Um, pudding. We are chosen to love and be fruitful. Check out the fruit there, isn't that good? That's real fruit, I think. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Fruit is inevitable. The promise is clear. If you remain in Jesus and Jesus in you, then there will be fruit. It will happen. Remaining in Jesus and his love guarantees a deepening relationship with him, that you will be rooted and established in his love. And this guarantees growth and therefore guarantees fruit. And the deeper the soil is, you can imagine that, that love section there being soil. It's soil colour-ish. Getting deeper and deeper and deeper. The deeper the soil is, the stronger the roots, the bigger the yield. I began to think about what, what this fruit might look like. You know, is it like a strawberry meringue or something, you know? Or, or I don't know. Fruit can be whatever it looks like. More salvations, more healings, more miracles, signs and wonders. Absolutely, yeah, bring it on. I spoke to Lucas about this and he said, um, more gifts of the Spirit, you know? More prophetic, more words of knowledge, uh, more healing, more speaking in tongues like we heard this morning. Interpretation. Fruit of the Spirit. Patience, love, joy, kindness, the other ones as well. I thought, yeah, absolutely. More, more fruit in our lives, for sure. But what, what the fruit looks like isn't really the point. And I don't think Jesus minds what the, fruit, what the fruit looks like. The point is we have been sent. We've been appointed to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And Jesus twice encouraged us to pray big. To ask for whatever we want in his name and it will be done. We must take this seriously. We are, we are called and appointed and sent to bear fruit. We've not been chosen to just say, I'm chosen, I'm loved, and then sit pretty for the rest of our lives. We've been chosen and loved to produce fruit. Jesus had promised his disciples much earlier in Matthew 9, 37, probably a couple of years before. He said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's on, it's on the poster back there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This applies today more than ever. The harvest is plentiful. It's out there. It's out there. And I think the harvest is riper than we think. I think we make, I know I do, make excuses that people out there don't want to hear it. People out there don't want to hear me blabbing on about Jesus and they'll ignore me, they'll have a go at me. It's riper than you think. 
we've had we've got an alpha course going at the moment. We've got we're getting what mid fifteen to twenty people coming along, which is brilliant. Um, our face to face at this every every other Sunday meal, we're getting twenty twenty two people each time, um, like twice as much as last year, twice as much. There's small 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 beginnings. So here, fruit is starting to starting to starting to grow. So what's all this for? You're appointed to play your part. You're appointed to, to, to produce fruit. What for? To glorify the Father. What for? For revival. Revival is evidenced by fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no revival. If it's just like us singing songs in here and getting all you know, pumped up, which is great, but nothing happens out there, there's no point. There's genuinely no point. Revival will bring fruit, will bring a harvest, and a multiplying of the crop, 30, 60, 100 times more than what was sown. And that results from God's chosen people loving others the way Jesus loves them. It's what, it's what, it's what, it's what we're pressing in for. We're pressing in for, for seeing more and more signs, for seeing more and more, more and more fruit. God is a God of revival. He brings transformation to people's lives. Perhaps that's the banner, that's the fruit. Transformation. That's the fruit in whatever guise it looks like to your life, to the lives of those around you, both in the church, revival in the church, and out of the church. Know who you are. Love others. Reap the harvest. Can you stand, please, if you're able to? Have the band up as well, please. Is the band knocking around. You're chosen to love and be fruitful. That's who you are. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what I've been talking about this morning, there's an invitation to become a friend of Jesus. There's an invitation to be adopted into his family. And if you're, if you're in that place where, you know what, I don't know what this is about, but I want to know more, come and see me afterwards. If you're in that place where right now you're thinking, oh, heck, I need to make a response, then make a response. Hold out your hand to him. Accept the invitation to be his friend. We spoke about breakthrough this morning. Breakthrough. Whether breakthrough is like just there, you can see it, or you can't see it. Do you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My question to you is, and as a response, my, my, my response to you is, are you up for it? That's my thing. Are you up for being a worker? Are you up for being a labourer? Are you up for going out there and taking the harvest in? Whether you're in a good place or not, it, you don't have to wait. You don't, you don't have to wait for breakthrough to step out because you're secure in your chosenhood. You're secure in who you are. You're secure because Jesus loves you, because you are chosen, you are adopted into his family. So breakthrough will only come if you step out. Breakthrough can only come if you step out. So I'm going, to, I'm going to be as bold to say, 
If you're up for this, if you're up for stepping out and bringing in the harvest and doing and whatever, however that looks like for you, whatever that looks like for you, and bearing fruit in that way and bringing transformation and all those things, then come to the front. We'll sing a song and just lay as a step of faith to God. Say, you know what, I'm, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to bear fruit. I'm here to, to take you up on your commission. I'm here to, to be sent. I accept the appointment. I accept going out. Confident in your love, knowing I'm chosen, knowing I'm adopted. To love as you loved me. To give myself up for those who don't know you. To give myself up for those in our church. And let's get practical. Let's, let's in this next week, two weeks, year, look for ways of doing that. Let's follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you, would you convict, would you, would you put on our minds now, put on our minds and hearts what it is that you would have us do, where it is you'd have us go, into the town, into our workplaces, whatever, Lord. I pray, would you prompt us, would you prompt us this week to take that step of faith, uh, confident in who we are, uh, even if it goes belly up, it doesn't matter. Uh, we, are, we are here to, to, to go and bring in the harvest, Lord, to, to, to do that in your strength. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you give us, give us the courage and the strength to do that, Lord. And would you, would you bring your fruit, would you bring transformation, May we be confident that you will bring your fruit to bear because that's your promise. You are the vine. We are the branches. We want to remain in you and you in us and you will bear much fruit. <laughs>